I want to invite you to take your Bible and turn with me to Luke 24 this morning. Luke 24, if you don't have a hard copy of the Bible with you, uh, there is one in the hymn book holder for you to be able to use, and you can grab one of those. And if you're not near one, then go to blueletterbible.com, and you will find a digital Bible there on your phone or your tablet or iPad. Just don't open up Angry Bird app this morning, all right? Uh, we'll stay focused together as we dig into God's Word. Now, for the last several weeks, probably about six weeks, we've been in a series entitled Jesus Is. And throughout the series, we've been looking through the New Testament to see some things about describing who Jesus is. We started the series with Jesus is your friend. It continued with Jesus is grace. Jesus is here. Last week, we looked at Jesus is given as he sacrificially gave himself on the cross for all mankind to pay the redemption for sin. And then this week, as we've said already, we're coming to the, to the peak of the series with Jesus is alive. What a wonderful truth that we're going to discover this morning and look at. And when you think about that word alive, someone once said, every man dies, but not every man truly lives. What a concept to think about. It's truly worth thinking about for a moment. If I were to ask you the question, are you alive, you would easily answer that question, though maybe some of you are like, I wish I wasn't alive, or I don't know, I'm half alive today. But the survey question could be asked, are you alive? You say, yeah, I am breathing, I've got a pulse, I, uh, my brain is somewhat functioning this morning, I'm comprehending what you're saying, some people are, are engaged, other people it's in one ear and out the other, uh, I'm not sure where you are, but yeah, you're alive, you would say that. But today, when we think about it, are you truly living a life? Are you truly alive? We said, well, I've got an official document that says I'm alive, sucking oxygen here on earth. It's a birth certificate. I'll show it to you. But are you really living? Paul, he put it this way when he wrote to a bunch of Christians at a church in the city of Ephesus. It's Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to put it on the screen. And it says, and you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Quickened is the word to be made alive. So you hath he made alive. Jesus, who he's made alive, who were dead in your trespasses and sins. Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Let's think about that for just a moment. When you think about this separation from you and God, you have fallen short of Him and His glory because of the sin nature by which you were born with. The sin, many of you in here would be willing to say, yeah, I'm a sinner, I have done wrong, I'm a pretty decent moral person, I'm well respected in my work environment, I'm, I'm well liked in my family, I'm a pretty decent guy, a pretty decent gal, and, and you would say that, yeah, even though while I'm good, I can still see that there are sins in my life. And so when you think on that matter of being dead in your trespasses and sins, it's Jesus that has transformed and made us alive. Look at verse number three among whom also we all had our conversation in times past. That's the word lifestyle. The word conversation is this, this way of living. Our way of living in times past was in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath even as others. Now let's dissect a few of those. What is lust of the flesh? Well, those are the passions and desires to have something that is not rightfully yours. Have you ever struggled with that? 
And then he continues by saying the desires of the flesh, that's discontentment, a desire for something stronger, better, more, more intense. There's the children of wrath. It's a life guided by contention. It's a life that is, is full of quarrels. It's a life that is, is filled with problems. It's being all fueled by anger, by contention, by a disagreeable spirit. That is the way of an old man. That is a way that is disconnected from Jesus. That is a life that is dead in their trespasses and sins. So these verses here paint a very bleak picture. We're not all signing up saying, my life verses are one, two, and three here. That's what I want to be labeled by. This is such great inspiration. Let's go and conquer the world. But that's when Jesus butts in, or God butts in in verse number four, because here's what happens. It says, but God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins. Hath he quickened us, there's our word again, made alive. Hath he made us alive together with who? Christ. By grace, you're saved. So you think about that. But God, he's the one that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But God, he took the initiative. He, he did not react on our call. Hey, God, I need, to, I need some help with this whole sin thing. Oh, well, then I better send my son, Jesus. It was God's initiative, not reaction to our call. And then God, he was driven by his own rich mercy and great love. And so you want to talk about real living? That's it right there. Being dead in our trespasses and sins, but God. He took us in our spirit of contention. He took us in our immorality. He took us as ones who desired so strongly for the lust of our flesh. He took us from where we, are, where we are, where we were, and made us alive, quickened us. That's real living. So how does that happen? Well, it happens because Jesus is alive. If we served a dead God, if we talked and preached and were fanatic about a dead God that did not come back to life, we would have no basis to stand on. We would have no foundation to have hope in. But the difference is, is that we have a God, Jesus, who did die, who was buried, historical evidence. If you're not willing to take the absolute truth of God's word by faith of what we read and what has been recorded accurately and historically, then you can go to other accounts of history to know that this man, Jesus, died in between two thieves. He died and he was taken off that cross. He was buried in a tomb as evidence that he died, not that he fainted, not that he was in some medical coma, but that he gave up the ghost. He lost all life. He gave it. And as he was buried, all hope had been gone. But then three days later, just as Jesus had already said to his followers, he came back to life with victory over the grave, with victory over death, with victory over Satan. Satan thought he had the victory, but then Jesus came back. So this Jesus is alive is a very important truth. Let's look into this and see in Luke chapter number 24 in verse number 1. He says, now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came unto the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher and they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass as they were much perplexed thereabout. 
Behold, two men stood by them in shining garments, and they were afraid, and they bowed down their faces to the earth. They said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. And they returned from the sepulcher and told all these things unto the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary the mother of James, the other women that were with them, which told these things unto the apostles. And their words seemed to them as idle tales, and they believed them not. Then arose Peter, he ran unto the sepulcher, and stooping down, he beheld the linen cloths laid by themselves and departed, wondering in himself at that which was come to pass. We see that the angels proclaim, he is not here, for he is risen. Jesus is alive. Would you stand with me for just a moment, and let's just ask God to give us guidance throughout this message And Christian, would you be praying for God to give clarity of thought as we deliver this account that Jesus is alive? Father, we thank you for the privilege to be your mouthpiece today. What an honor and privilege it is to be your tool and instrument. And so today I'm asking that your message would be given, that we would not be sidetracked or distracted, but that we can hear your truth. I thank you for those who have come today. They are here Because of God, ordinance, you have placed us purposely here today. And so may this time be one that is encouraging, convicting, challenging, and bring us to a place of transformation and change. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Each of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four of them They have a storyline surrounding the resurrection of Jesus Christ, although none of them go into the details of the exact event of him coming out of the tomb and coming back to life. But they do, however, all record that it happened early in the morning, the hour of the first day of the week. Now, before the women had arrived to the tomb that day, the sun of righteousness had risen before the sun of the earth even shone. And in our text today, we see three sets of characters. These three sets of characters teach us a very crucial lesson about their response to Jesus is alive. So let's dig into that. The first group is the women followers. The women followers in verses 1 through 3, you see their actions in coming early in the morning to anoint the body of Jesus Christ. In verse number 10, it gives us the list of some of these women. The first one was Mary Magdalene. She had been cleansed and changed by the words of Jesus, the very act of Jesus. Jesus had healed her from demon possession several years before this account. And so Mary Magdalene is one woman that had been a follower of Jesus and his ministry because her life had been changed by his doing. And so she was very faithful. Last week when we studied the crucifixion of Jesus, we saw that Mary Magdalene was a part of the very faithful core that was at the foot of the cross. And now here we are two days later as the resurrection takes place and she is of the faithful core that is coming to anoint the body of Jesus. And then there's Joanna. She was the wife of Chusa. She was uh, the house steward of Herod. Um, and, and so whether Joanna had been uh, 
been freed from a demon possession or had had a physical healing. We're not told the specifics, but we are told that her life had also been transformed by Jesus. And so here she is coming from a wealthy background. No doubt that she was probably a part of a supply for the welfare of Jesus during his earthly ministry, but she was a dedicated follower. Then there's Mary, the mother of James. She's the mother of James the Less, or the son of Alphaeus, one of the 12 disciples that is recorded. And then the Bible tells us that there were other women. Now, the Gospel of Mark will record a woman by the name of Salome. And so we know that there were several other women that had gathered together to go. Now, what's interesting about them is that they were prepared by their dedication. They were going to go, and they wanted to be a part of this. And their dedication was one that it showed their love for Jesus. It expressed um, that they were really dedicated to him. They got up early in the morning, probably before sunbreak, and they were going to the tomb. Now, some of you know what kind of dedication that means, right? So how many of you in here are hunters and you get out to the tree stand before the sun even wakes up and you are prepped and ready? Any hunters like that? Okay, two of you, okay? Well, we're not hunters. Fishermen, do you fishers, do they get out before the sun rises? How many of you fishermen out there, you'd say, yeah, I'm dedicated to it. I get it done. I'm out there ready. All right, so no fishers or hunters. I know what we got here. How many of you are Black Friday geeks, all right? How many of you there? All right, that's what we got. So the Black Friday geeks, like you, you're, you're pacing it out all week. You're figuring out which store to go to, and you're getting your game plan together. You're getting your sisterhood together. You're getting everybody that you need, and you've got this game plan. This is when we're hitting Starbucks to get the big drink, and this is when we're going to be in line for two hours at this store, and you're willing to sacrifice. You're willing to body slam somebody so that you can get that door buster, and, uh, which you could order online an hour later, but that's beside the point. So you do all of these things because you're so dedicated to that deal. You know what dedication looks like. You know the sacrifice that it takes to make this dedication follow through. So that's these women. They were prepared by their dedication. You know, I think about our dedication as followers of Jesus. Our dedication to him should be so clear and evident to people. It's our sacrificial spirit that no matter the cost, I will follow him. No matter the claim, I will go. And then there's this, this spirit of unity, a, a unified with others. This is unity as a priority. A church cannot function unless it's unified. A team will not succeed unless it is unified. And so that should be so evident that our dedication, we're pursuing unity no matter the cost. And then there's being passionate, never wavering, always remaining fervent. Never backing away from that. That's true dedication. These women were prepared by that. And then, but they were perplexed by their discovery. It's interesting as we read in this text because they were not expecting to find Jesus gone. They had come to the tomb. They were coming with their uh, ointments. They were ready to anoint the body and prepare him for the burial. They were ready to do that. And so when they got there, they found the stone was rolled away. And the Bible tells us that they were surprised, they were shocked, they were perplexed, they were confused at what they were seeing. You've had those moments where you've walked in and all of a sudden you're like, what just happened here? That's not what I was anticipating. 
Some of you parents, you remember walking in on a toddler and they had taken a jar of peanut butter and smeared it all over the refrigerator. It's all over their face. It's halfway down their throat and it's all in their diaper. And maybe it's not peanut butter. Maybe it's the other thing. I don't remember. We never had that. Anybody? I don't know. Okay. But there's always that moment where you're like, what has just happened? I was not expecting that. How many of you have ever opened up the front door to your house? You've walked in and you've seen two or three inches of water in the floor and you're like, that's not what I wanted to come home to. And you slam the door and walk down somewhere else. That's the moment as they, re, as they got to the tomb, they were perplexed. They were wondering, how did this happen? What is going on? And their jaw probably dropped. Their eyes probably bugged out. They were wanting to see what was going on. Verse number four, it came to pass. They were much, they were greatly perplexed. They were confused and they were puzzled by what they were seeing now, this puzzlement happens to us in our life sometimes. We're puzzled by the results being so different from what we were anticipating. We get so angry with God, we thought, well, I went to church on Easter Sunday, and then I had the worst week after that. Well, what's the deal, God? We're really perplexed by this whole thing. And then we think that if we do enough good things that God will bring a, a great coat of blessing upon us and we're going to have a great afternoon today with no arguments, no contention, uh, no, no problems in our life because we have been in church on Easter Sunday. God, you owe me one and really, God, you owe me a big one because I wore a, a jacket and a tie at the same time on a Sunday morning. You owe me one, God. And all of a sudden, we get real perplexed because things aren't really turning out like we were anticipating them. And while they're rubbing their eyes, suddenly their confusion turns into fear. Women, when they're together and something drastic is happening, the drama starts to rise, right? And so they're looking at each other like, did you know this was going to take place? No, I didn't know this. Joanna, what's going on? And they're, they're really confused. And then all of a sudden, in the midst of their confusion, two angels show up. And the Bible says that their confusion turns to fear. And now their fear is at a high intensity because the angelic announcers have shown up. And in verses 4 through 8... The angels are going to announce this amazing truth. It were the angels that announced the birth of a Savior, the birth of Jesus Christ. How fitting it is that the angels would be the ones to announce His rising from the dead. And so they proclaimed the news. In verse number 6, they said, He is not here, but risen. Can you imagine that atmosphere? Can you imagine the intensity of that moment? The angels are announcing that He is not here, He's not risen. They didn't have their arms crossed and said, women, I don't know what you're doing here, but your Jesus is not here. He's risen from the dead. They didn't look at the women and say, what are you guys doing? Don't you remember he said this? He's risen. He's risen. There was not this passing moment. This was the opportunity for them to proclaim the great news. This was an opportunity for the excitement. What a fun opportunity this would have been to be the announcer with this responsibility. Major League Baseball just kicked off their season on Thursday. And uh, some of you are excited about that. Cleveland Indians knew our World Series champions this year. But as they start this new season, the Houston Astros, the World Series champions from last year, they started their season in Arlington, Texas against the Texas Rangers. But on Monday, tomorrow, they get to go back home to their home stadium, to their home crowd, to start their season from home. 
And so you've got to believe that the announcer tomorrow, he is going to get on that speaker. And as he announces the opposing team and the opposing team, Baltimore Orioles, they're here in town. He announces their names. They're done. Everybody's booing them. And then all of a sudden, it's time to announce the World Series champions. And so the announcer gets on there and he doesn't say, well, folks, here's your World Series champions. Take the field. Let's go. Let's do it again this year. The announcer, with great anticipation and excitement, he says, and now... I want to introduce to you your 2017 World Series champions, your Houston Astros. And the crowd goes wild. People stand to their feet. They shout. They point. They say, this is my team. They won't win without me. I'm wearing my shirt. I'm wearing my hat. Everybody's so excited about what's taking place. The announcer is going to really feed off of the excitement. The announcers who proclaimed this news had this opportunity to announce that Jesus is not here. He has risen from the dead. Man, it's exciting to announce the great news. We have a responsibility to proclaim that, don't we? Christian, follower of Christ. Now, we don't get up here every Sunday and we don't get all excited and say, hey, here's your opportunity to become a child of God. But we do with great passion. We want to express to you the change that God will bring to your life. We have something exciting to tell you. We have something to proclaim. The responsibility is to say that we serve a risen Savior, a God who is not dead. He is a personal friend who is involved in my life. He is a mighty God, an everlasting being. He is the creator of all, the controller of everything. He is loving, passionate. He is merciful and gracious, yet he is just, sovereign, and never fails. We don't serve a wooden being. We don't, paint, uh, we don't serve some sculpture that we follow and bow down to. We serve a being that is real and he is live, and that is our Jesus Christ, our Savior. We love and honor the one true God, not a fairy tale vision. It is the one true God, Jehovah, and oh, how we must proclaim it. Today, you'll walk away from the service and you'll say, they sang about Jesus dying. They sang about him coming back to life. They talked about him dying. They talked about him coming to life. But you have to understand the very foundation by which we live by is the fact and reality that Jesus did die for our sins. And it's not a very perplexing situation. It is not one that we have to be confused by because the angels prompted the memory of these women. And in verse number six, he says, remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee? <laughs> the cross reference is Luke chapter 9, verse 22. Because he said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be slain and be raised the third day. So Luke 18, 31 through 34, this passage tells us that the, t the 12 followers of Jesus Christ, the ones who were with him day in and day out, they did not they did not grab a hold of this. They had a hard time understanding it, a very difficult time grasping it. You would have thought that these men would have had no problem going through the trial of Jesus and that they certainly all would have been there. Only one, John the, John the disciple, was at the foot of the cross. The others had fled. You would have thought that they would have been falling back on what Jesus had already told them, but they were confused by this. Now, before we go blaming these women and these disciples and throwing them under the bus and saying, guys, you were already told by Jesus that he would die and come back to life. I mean, why are you so worried? Why are you perplexed? What is the problem? And before we start throwing them under the bus, we have to realize that we too struggle with the promises of God. Think about that. 
He has promised to never leave us nor forsake us, yet sometimes we feel all alone and wonder if God really cares. Hmm. God has promised that His grace is sufficient for us, and yet we worry about the heartache that the trials will bring. God has promised that His children will not be overtaken with temptation, but instead He assures us that a way of an escape will be provided. So the promise is recorded in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that we will not be overtaken by temptation, but with an escape route be given a way to overcome the temptation. Yet we live in defeat as if to say we have no way out. Sometimes we sit in our pew or we sit in our living room or we sit in our uh, cubicle and all of a sudden we think, how in the world am I going to be used by God? We think if, 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 if my baggage from this past week were wide open and known to everybody else, they'd kick me out of the church. Or if they knew what I thought, or if they knew what I did, or if they knew my struggles, then all of a sudden we live in all of this guilt. And that's what we're burdened by. God wants us to be free from that and grants us this forgiveness and to give us victory. So God has promised that all things will work together for good to those that love Him, to those who are uh, serving Him faithfully, yet we worry about the results. God has promised that those who believe and confess in Jesus and believe in their heart that God hath raised Him from the dead, they will be saved. Yet sometimes we doubt the reality of that promise. And we think, am I really saved? Can I really take God for his word? Did God really mean that if I confess and I believe? Or what kind of other things, what other elements do I need to add to it? What other good works can I do? I want to live good life. I want to die when I'm in my my elder years. And I want to be able to go to my deathbed and know that I lived a good enough life that when I close my eyes and take my last breath, that God has no other way but then to accept me into his heaven because of the life that I have lived. And too many people will take their own self as their savior. And they say that what I can do by my good works is what I can accomplish for eternity. But God said it this simple way. He said that if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so the women in verse number eight, they remembered, it clicked. The women, they were, they were confused by an empty tomb. They were startled by two angels. The angels announced it, and then they reminded them of the promise that Jesus had given, and then it dawns on them. Yes! Mary, Joanna, I, I remember Salome, you remember. Ah, yeah! He's not going to be here. He's not in the tomb. Jesus isn't dead. He already told us about this. And so what did they do? They go and find the 11 disciples to tell them. And in verses 9 through 12, we see the third group of people. It's the intrigued disciples. The women made a beeline to the disciples and to the others who would have been there. The women were excited about the news. And they had discovered that Jesus had risen from the dead. Now, here's the truth. Jesus was not a survivor. He did not miraculously survive the ordeal of the cross. Jesus was a conqueror. He had conquered death and he was everything that they had hoped and believed that he would be. Not a survivor, a conqueror. And so they have made a beeline to the disciples. Can you imagine those women getting to the disciples? 
They're out of breath and they're trying to communicate what they have just seen and what they have experienced. And about five of them are going at the same time, some faster than others, others nudging, no, 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 this is the way it was. And they're trying to tell the disciples of what they have discovered. And the disciples, they didn't say, whoa, yeah, just as we had thought. Man, show us what's going on. The disciples didn't believe them. Can you believe that? Look at it in the verse. It says that they, the words seemed to them as idle tales and they believed them not. Despite the excitement of the women, their testimony was not believed. You've been there before. Have, have you ever had your kids come in and with such great excitement, anticipation, they tell you something and you're just like, no, that didn't happen. That's not true. But let's just move on. That's not really happening. And then they, no, 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 daddy, daddy, this really happened. This really happened. I got to show you. No, 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 no. I'm busy. I don't believe it. I'm not going. And then they finally get you and you finally see, oh, because they responded in such a way to these women. They said, you're speaking idle tales. That was a word that was, it means nonsense. It was a medical term used for the babbling of a fevered and insane man. So the disciples said, Mary, Mayor, 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 shh, 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 Salome, quiet down, ladies. You guys are insane. Now, how many of you men have ever told a lady, you are insane, woman, all right? Okay, nobody dares tell that one, right? Yeah. <laughs> if you ever said it, you said it one time, and you've never said it again, right? That's what they said. What? You're, you're speaking idle tales. You're babbling. You're non, this is nonsense, there's no way this is true, ladies. And you see, people respond the same way today when they hear us proclaim the truth of a risen Savior, of a Jesus who died, was buried, and came back to life. They respond the same way. It's hard to comprehend God's love. When John 3 tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, so that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life, they can't comprehend that kind of love. Especially when Romans 5.8 puts it this way by saying, but God commendeth his love, he demonstrated his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, while we were still enjoying our sin, while we were doing all of that, Christ died for us. So in the midst of all sin, Christ still died for us. Though there are people today who reject God, though there are people who today, who today will blaspheme the name of Jesus Christ, though there are people today who reject this, it comes from a heart that says they want nothing to do with God, but God has said, I still love you. And Jesus said, I still love you. So the love of God is hard to comprehend, but also it's hard to grasp the sacrifice of Jesus. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends? You see, Jesus, yes, he was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, but he freely gave himself. As he was taken to the trial, he could have done a lot of things to just think that that, that, that uh, accuser could, just, could be swallowed into the ground. He could have just thought something, and the Roman soldiers would have lost grip. They would have lost all insanity of their mind, and they would have crumbled at their feet. But Jesus freely gave himself to the trial. And then as they took Jesus and beat him with the, nine of cat, uh, the, the cat of nine tails, and they scourged his body, they mocked him, they spit on him, they plucked his beard, they punched him, they did everything they could to defile him. 
And Jesus just simply responded by giving himself. When the Roman soldiers placed his bloody body on the ground with the cross behind him and took the huge spikes and the sledgehammer and began to put those nails into his skin to hold his body up on that wooden cross, Jesus gave himself for that. The song was written years ago that he could have called 10,000 angels, but he died alone for you and for me. And as he gave himself on that cross, he was not murdered and his life was not taken. He gave himself. That's hard for people to, to uh, comprehend. That's hard for people to grasp. But we share the good news and we share the truth that God's love gave the sacrifice of Jesus. And you know the reality is people have a hard time admitting their shortcoming and their need for a Savior. We live in a day and age where humanism has become so apparent and so rampant. And people want to live their life with their own set of rules. People will come in here and try to, to, to argue until they're blue in the face that these pews are not blue but rather red because they want it to be red. That's the world we live in. And so for people to grab a hold of the truth and reality of what happened, the historical account, to admit their shortcomings and their need for a Savior, it takes an almighty work of God to draw that man and woman to himself. We become that tool and instrument to share the love of Jesus. The Bible tells us in John 14, 6, I am the way. Jesus said it, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me, Jesus said. And then in Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. For it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. People have a hard time for you to tell them that they're not a good moral person, but that they have a sin nature and that they've fallen short of God's glory, as if I need God's glory. I'll live my life as I want to. I've got my own knowledge and my own understanding, and I will conquer this life, and I will be okay when it's all said and done. And people have a hard time grasping of what Jesus has done. And then it's hard to accept that God can, will, and is ready to receive them unto his own. As he said in Romans 10, 13, For whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so, you know what the disciples did? They didn't pack up and leave. They didn't keep calling these women insane. They probed for answers. And I love it. They went investigating themselves. In another gospel, it records that John and Peter took off running. John outruns Peter. Peter's been in the boat too many times, eating too many raw fish and sushi. And so John gets ahead of Peter. John gets to the tomb, but John's a little apprehensive as he approaches this tomb. He sees the, roll, the stone has been rolled away. He looks back. Here's Peter. Come on, Peter. Hurry up, man. Come on. And then he looks in again. Peter finally huffing and puffing gets there. The Bible tells us Peter takes the initiative. You know Peter. He's going to be the one. Get out of the way, John. What's going on in here? He walks right into the tomb. And these guys see with their own eyes, Jesus is gone. They probed for answers. They were searching. They were looking. And don't be afraid, Christians, of people asking questions. People want to know answers. People want to understand. They want to discover. They want to see this with their own eyes. They want to go through that process of transformation. It's not just a matter of us forcing them to say some prayer so that we can count them in as a part of our collection of people. That's not what it's about. We want people to clearly understand. Ask the questions. Wrap your mind around it. And come to that step of faith on your own that says, I put my faith and trust in this. And so the Christian... Are you searching for answers 
Are you digging into God's Word? Are you probing for answers, learning more? Don't be afraid of what you will find. The psalmist wrote, wrote, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. God's word will open the doors. God's word will open the understanding, but you have to read it. You have to apply it. You have to dig in. And then to the seeker today, to the one who's here, and this whole God thing, Jesus coming back to life, this word gospel, this whole Jesus will save, this may be a whole new thought process for you. All of it you're trying to wrap your mind around. And I beg you as a seeker, don't shrug this God thing off. Right here is not a religious experience. You're sitting among people who have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. A personal relationship which has transformed them. You're sitting among people who used to be addicts, who when Jesus came in, transformed their life. You're sitting among people who were harboring anger and bitterness and rejection and contention. But when Jesus came in, they were freed from the baggage and they stood forth with that great freedom. We sang a song, Amazing Grace, My Chains Are Gone. And as we sing that song, we realize that the bondage of our sin puts us in these, shack these shackles. And we find ourselves being restricted. And we don't know where to go and what to do. We're overweighted by this. And that's when it says that it is God's amazing grace. That which we don't deserve, He extends to all of us. The Bible tells us, for by grace, that amazing grace, are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So as a seeker today, don't label it as a fairy tale and hope that it's not true. The reality is, it is true. And as you leave today, there will be something inside of you that will keep churning, something that will keep pricking, something that will keep prompting, and you will shrug it off, and you will, you will push it away, and you'll say, I'm okay. I went to church when I was a kid. I was baptized as a teenager. I went to Christian camp. I went to Christian school. I married in a Catholic church. My mother was a, a Sunday school teacher. My dad was a deacon. And the whole long list will go on and on as you try to appease your conscience of why you're okay. But if there's something in you right now that is saying, if I take my last breath today, I don't know where I will go. I can't give a reason of why I should go to heaven. I mean, the preacher has already said that it's not by my good works, so what else can it be? I've never expressed my faith in Jesus alone. Only you can answer that question if that's what your heart is thinking. The disciples would soon learn, yes, that he truly had risen. Their friend, their Messiah, their Savior was truly alive. And you know what those men had to do? Those men had to go back to those women and say, women, you were right. <laughs> What'd you say? You heard me. You heard me. You heard me. You were right. So what is the voice you're listening today? You think, oh, it's insane. Idle tales. It's nonsense. But one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. They all walked away with nothing to say. They just lost their dearest friend. And that, he said, now he was dead. So this was the way it would end? 
The dreams they had dreamed were not what they'd seemed now that he was dead and gone. The garden, the jail, the hammer, the nail. How could a night be so long? Then came the morning. (laughs) Night turned into day. The stone was rolled away. Hope rose from the dawn. Then came the morning. Shadows vanished before the sun. Death had lost and life had won. For the morning had come. And the announcement was proclaimed, Jesus is alive. Would you say that with me? Jesus is alive. Father, we thank you for this wonderful truth that your son Jesus is alive. Now God, draw us to a place of decision. Give us discernment in these very precious moments. And God, give us your direction of change and decision. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, these last few moments of our message is called an invitation. If you're a guest today, it is, it's not some mystical experience and it's not some confusing time. It's basically an invitation to you to make a decision, for you to be able to come to grips with what you're dealing in your heart, for you to be able to confess all before an almighty God and say, I need you. I've tried to live this life and being good and on my own, but now it's time for me to discover that you, Jesus, alone are all I need. If you're here today, Christian, I want you to pray, but I also want you to search your own heart. What is it in your life that God has shown you today? A more passionate, fervent spirit? that digs into his word and shares and proclaims the good news of Jesus. For some of you, it is known sin in your life that you've got to just come to grips with and you need to throw it at him and and, and beg him for his forgiveness. And then, sir or ma'am, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal savior, I want to invite you to come to that place in your own heart where you quit trying to figure it out on your own but you give your life to Him. If you're sitting there today and something has been stirring in your mind and heart and you're wanting to know more about this, we want to be a help to you. We have people that would love to share the Scripture again to show you how you can know without a doubt that Jesus is your Lord. But here's what I want to do. Here in these moments of quietness at your seat, I just want to guide you through a simple prayer. Three weeks ago, I looked at a man of 91 years old. He laid in his hospital bed He had lived his life for so long, basing it on good works. He had been Catholic Church for 74 years. He thought that he had done enough. But when he came to the realization that it was Jesus, only Jesus that he needed, there laying in his hospital bed, he prayed a very simple prayer, a prayer of confession before God and a prayer of acclamation to take him, God, as his Lord and Savior. And so that's what it is today. And so may I guide you through that in these closing moments. If you want to put your trust in Jesus Christ alone, Jesus, only Jesus, here's what you pray. In the quietness of your, of your seat there, dear God, I realize that I am a sinner. I realize that I have fallen short of your glory. But I also accept the very truth that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross, to pay for my sins. And I thank you that he came back to life 
with victory over death and victory over sin so that I can experience that same victory today. God, I accept your son Jesus as my personal Lord and my Savior. Thank you for hearing my prayer. In Jesus' name. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you prayed that prayer today, I want to simply rejoice with you. The prayer is not some magical wand that is waved over your head that says all things are new and changed. It comes from a belief deep down inside your heart. And so today, if you prayed that prayer, may I rejoice with you? Would you just quietly raise your hand where you are? You'd say, that's me. I prayed that prayer today. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I prayed that prayer today. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. I prayed that prayer today. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I prayed that prayer today, and I meant it. I'm putting my trust in Jesus alone. Yes, sir. I see that hand. Anybody else today? You would say, I prayed that prayer with you, Peter. Yes, ma'am. I see that hand. Now, with everybody's heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to ask you a simple favor. If you raised your hand, I just want to ask you a quick question, just one-on-one. And so would you be willing to just make eye contact with me real quick? Now, I'm going to scan the crowd, and so it's going to take me just a few moments, so be patient. But if I, if I see your eyes locked on me, I just want to ask you a very personal question and uh, based on your raising your hand. Sir, did you mean, mean that today? You meant that today. Praise God. Praise God. I rejoice with you. That's exciting. Putting your faith in Jesus alone. That's so thrilling today. Ma'am, did you mean that today, that you're putting your trust in Jesus Christ alone for your eternal salvation? Did you mean that? Yes, ma'am. Yes, that's awesome. I, I rejoice with that. Sir, did you do that today? Amen. Amen. That's exciting. Anybody else that you raised your hand, that you're putting your trust in Jesus Christ alone? Anybody else today? I see somebody here. Anybody else in this section here? Okay. Now, sir, ma'am, I've got some people that have... have uh, been prepared to just have a conversation with you to give you that confirmation and some material that will help you to have a clear understanding. And the way we do that is we just ask you to maybe go to the back. They're in the back. And so they have a, they have a bag of material they'd like to give you and then just have maybe a five-minute conversation with you uh, to pray with you and to give you, help you have that confirmation today. And so if you'd be willing, sir, that we've got a gentleman back there. If you'd be willing, ma'am, we've got a lady back there. But I'm not going to pressure you or force you to do anything because that has to be on your own and on your own accord. So, Father, in these next few moments, we need boldness and we need courage. We're, a bunch, we're with a bunch of people, some strangers and some people we know, but we need your leading. And so I'm going to ask you to do that in these moments. In Jesus' name.